All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And this week, Ray, believe it or not, it's another round of the Rock Hall. It's the latest inductees. This time it's the 37th annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's a pretty interesting group of inductees, as always. But this year, there seems to be some 80s artists that really are prominent. Yeah, there's a number of folks who have kind of been hanging around for a few years. A couple of whom, I mean, you think like Lionel Richie or Carly Simon, it's kind of weird to think they haven't actually gotten in already. But there is, there's a, there's a lot of uh, stuff from the 80s in there that you, you're right. Not, and not just the performers, but the uh, looking at the musical ex- excellence and even the Erdogan Awards. And the first one they have listed is Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo. And it's interesting how Neil now, I mean, it was always Pat Benatar, but now Neil mm-hmm. is getting equal billing. And, you know, they're married and have been writing songs for years. He's behind every hit song that Pat had. So it makes sense. It's just interesting how you wonder, would they have to go back and do all the albums <laughs> in the past and start listing Neil as well? Yeah, you know, well, he has songwriting credit on stuff throughout the years, you know, and it's weird because he, you know, he he played on songs and he helped he co-wrote with with Benatar and uh, co-produced and all that other stuff. And so they really were a team, but for really until the last say decade or so, you know, you just knew Pat Benatar and it's only been like I said the last maybe decade or so that that uh, you know their their website they, they it's Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo, they really em- they've really emphasized that he has been an important part of that team, I guess, right? You know, that, that they are a team, and it's not just Pat Benatar. But, yeah, for years, you know, you knew Pat Benatar throughout the 80s, and then, you know, even you know, even though she wasn't having hits anymore in the 90s and even to the early 2000s, you knew it as Pat Benatar. And, and I think that they, they really – I'm glad to see them there. To me, when you think of – like, if I'm asked, you know, what's the – the the powerful female performer from the 80s that you know what's the first who's the first person that comes to mind and it's pat benatar and i think of uh, i love all fired up but you think of you know invincible or hit me with the best shot or you know anything love it's, is a battlefield yeah i mean it's just that she had like an operatic range uh you know she could have sung opera she you know she she just had an um, has an amazing voice and she could really like put power into those into those lyrics when she sang them. Yeah, and, and wasn't she part of? I remember. I know Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They mm-hmm. opened with the Go Go's, but I think immediately off, it was like, oh, she's dressed like Pat Benatar. Yeah. I just remember that vividly. That she also, you know, was was a fashion icon early yeah. in her career. Yeah, it's funny because I thought of that too. Uh, there's a, there's a line from yeah Fast Times at Ridgemont High where. Phoebe Cates' character is explaining that there are three Pat Benatars in the high school, right? There's one, two, three, and she points out all three of them. And and that you're right, that that points to it wasn't just about the music. There was a Pat Benatar style in the early 80s, you know, and and so that's a that's a big part of her influence. Yeah, really, really good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo has got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But you talked about fashion. And the next, Duran Duran is another group that really defined the 80s. I remember the Rio video. I mean, to me, obviously Pat had many 
iconic videos. You think of Love of the Battlefield, but Duran Duran really seemed to top the 80s MTV. If there was a poster child, I think Duran Duran would be there. Yeah, I think you're right. You sort of like I, I, you put that well, a poster child for MTV. They were, you know, MTV early on, they went with a lot of these British and, or UK based bands that were making it vid- because that's who was making the videos in the early 80s, right? So you had, you know, when you think of a flock of seagulls and all that other stuff that they used to play in the early 80s, that's who was into making videos and that's who was into making interesting videos. And Duran Duran was right there. And so, yeah, when you think of uh, Wild Boys or Hungry Like the Wolf or, as you said, Rio and right on down the line, even through their their uh, their sort of comeback in the early 90s with Ordinary World, you know, they they just uh, they were iconic at the time. They were an important part of the MTV experience. They had a style of music that that's recognizable. When the song Leave Me Alone by uh, I don't know how, but they found me about two years ago came out. It had a Duran Duran feel to it. And it was like this 80s flashback song. And it was, you know, and, and part of that was, wow, this sounds like it could have been Duran Duran back in 1983 or something. Yeah. One thing that always would get me is with their sound, they obviously a, a lot of keyboard influence. I do remember A View to a Kill. That was a big one. And as you said earlier, the whole Duran Duran phenomenon, it, you, we mentioned a while back, they used to have, what was the late night video voting show? Oh yeah, Friday Night Video Fights. Friday Night Video Fights. And I remember when the Reflex won, and I was so angry, we used to call it the Rejects because we were so angry about the Reflex. And, but they were everywhere. And they, Simon LeBon can still <laughs> sing. I believe he just turned 64. And he can still sing as though it was 40 years ago. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, you're right. He just turned 64. And he can't, yeah, it's amazing that he can still, you know, belt that out. And it's funny you mentioned Friday Night Video Fights because the the one memory I had of that, the one time I voted was uh, for, uh, you know, your favorite, Van Hale. And Hot for Teacher was like the two or three time defending champ. And they were up against Wild Boys. And it was the one time I actually called in and voted and Duran Duran beat, I voted for uh, Van Halen and Duran Duran beat him out. And I, I hated Duran Duran like then too, you know, like you said, you know, you hated the, ref- you know, you hated when they, when they won in, in uh, the reflux. But I remember with the, with wild boys, I was just so pissed. I was like, I'm going to hate this song forever, you know, and I don't, I don't hate it now, but you know, for a while there, I just couldn't stand that song because it beat out hot for teacher on uh Friday night video fights. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioned that in the past. And one last thing on Duran Duran that I thought was interesting is most of Duran Duran, well, I, I think it was two members of Duran Duran went off and did Power Station mm-hmm. with, it had you know, Robert Palmer, I think the drummer from Chic, uh, Tony Thompson. And it sounded like Duran Duran as well. And I, for some reason, I just love that Power Station album. And you know, some like it hot was probably the yep. biggest one off there. So for me, it's just Duran Duran had their imprint on many things in the eighties. And I'm so glad they're getting into the rock and roll yep, thing. Absolutely. Well, and while we're talking about bands from the eighties that have been waiting a while to get into the hall of fame, I, I think you got to think you got to talk about the Eurythmics, right? They've come close a couple of times. And again, you think about style, interesting videos, 
you know, the sort of quintessential 80s connected to MTV coming out of England, right? You know, uh, you got to talk about the Eurythmics. Totally have to. And of course, their iconic song, Sweet Dreams, are made of these. It's been covered many a times. I think the most popular one was Marilyn Manson made it his own. But the Eurythmics are, the thing that I think about with the Eurythmics is that, as you said, the style, the fashion, the video, but it was another team. It was like Pat Benatar and Neil Geraldo. You've got Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. And that dynamic together, I mean, why don't we just call it that? Because it's similar to Pat (laughs) Pat Neil, but that was the team. And Annie went off and obviously did her solo career and but them together created this unique sound. Yeah, they did. They had a, a, a unique sound. They had a, a, a noticeable sound, uh, you know, that differed from song to song. You know, you think about uh, Would I Lie to You and how different that is from, um, uh, you know, some of the other stuff like uh, uh, like uh, Here Comes the Rain Again or something. There's similarities in there, but there's there's some differences as well. And then you think about sisters are doing, doing it for themselves and, you know, just this sort of, you know, teaming up with Aretha Franklin and, and then, uh, and then that they both went on, uh, you know, as you said, Annie Lennox went on to have quite a, a prolific uh, solo career afterwards, but they, Dave Stewart did too. You know, he had a number of projects afterwards. Uh, he had that hit in 1991 that Lily was here, right, with Candy Dolfer. And, and so, you know, and he went on to do all kinds of other things too. And so they both really used, you know, out, built out of Arrhythmics to go on to do all kinds of other stuff. And they've been, you know, now for, for really... 40, 40 years, they've been a, a real force in, in popular music. Yeah, my favorite thing, a random fact about the Eurythmics that always blew my mind was that the riff for Sweet Dreams was something they just randomly put on a keyboard and it just started, the pattern just started happening. And I believe the story goes is he hit a button and it went backwards and they're like, hey, wait a minute, that's it. So <laughs> it was one of those like happy accidents that occurred that now you think about it, that riff, as soon as you hear it, it's, Oh, I know what that is. And and it's, that's what's interesting about most of these artists is I believe there's some breakthrough hit they had. And then once that happened, they just landed on the map. Yep. Absolutely. And that makes me think about our next inductee, which is Eminem, which as soon as Eminem came onto the scene, I'll never forget. I think I was, it was one of those driving in the car and I heard my name is. And for a second there, I thought, is this weird Al's child? (laughs) Because the way he raps and there's so much humor inside the song, it sometimes just sounds like it's one of weird Al's original songs, you know, because weird Al does the parodies and then he writes the other half of original songs. And I thought, Hmm, I wasn't sure what this was. And then of course he goes on and he has so many other iconic songs, but it's interesting. Eminem's hit the 25 years. So this is one of those artists that as soon as they hit that magical number, they're automatically in. Yeah. That's, you know, interesting. We've been talking about artists, you know, who've been around for 40 years and have kind of waited for their chance. And, and Eminem is so, significant to the last two and a half decades of popular music that you're right. I mean, it's, it was 
it was almost like he, he kind of had to go in uh, right away. Um, you know, his big one's Lose Yourself, which, I mean, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of when Lose Yourself hit number one. And Eminem, he just turned 50, right? He just, you know, he's uh, he's still uh, doing stuff. Um, he's been, he's, he's active. And you, you think about uh, that sort of style, like you said, from the very beginning with My Name Is, uh, there is, there's a sort of playfulness to his, his music. I remember hearing one time that he used to, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard it, the idea that he used to read the dictionary because he wanted to learn more words and he wanted to learn words and words that he could rhyme with other words. So he would just read the dictionary for words. And I mean, you think about how able he is to rip a lyric, right? And quickly, how quickly he can rap and do it in a way that brings in words that rhyme, that work meter in terms of meter, and that are innovative. And I think that's key to Eminem, is that he, he really did innovate rap in the way that, you know, other folks, Jay-Z, Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, I mean, we can go through it, right? There are folks who, who other folks who, plenty of other folks who've done this. But I think Eminem really belongs here because he's a he's an in a, he he really was important to the development of rap music. Yeah, and his protege, Dr. Dre, I imagine he's going to induct him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe ten years ago or or so, maybe a little more. He inducted Run DMC mm-hmm. into <laughs> the Rock Hall. So it's interesting how the time has come now for Eminem to come in. And he's influenced, like you said, so many other artists now, just like he was influenced by Run DMC. So the, the cycle continues. Glad to have Eminem in there. And Marshall Mathers, he's made it. And speaking of, of somebody else who's, who's made it, and you talk about uh, influence and innovation and importance, uh, Dolly Parton. Um, you know, she said she didn't really want to be inducted, right? When it, when it was brought up last spring that, she was uh, a, a finalist. She was on the ballot, and she was like, you know, nah, I'm going to decline because she didn't really think of herself as a as a rock music, right? As as a rock musician, uh, thought of herself as a country musician, and and it's like well, they said, well, okay, thanks, Dolly, but we're going to go ahead anyway because she has been influential, and it and even regardless of how Dolly might see herself or and she, you know, tends to be pretty. Um, uh, you know, like, well, you know, I don't need the accolades kind of approach to this, but she has been influential. The, you know, you think about the way that the, the songs that she's done and, and pro- the most famous here is I Will Always Love You, right? Which then Whitney Houston in the early 90s takes and makes one of the biggest hits ever. But, you know, th- those songs were influential. And so crossed over a significant amount in the early 80s. Biggest hit, of course, is Nine to Five. And she's a you know, sort of working woman, became a working woman's anthem. It was tied to the movie that she was also in, connected to that. It's a hilarious scene from a few years ago from the, the show The Orville, where, you know, they play that in the future, and, you know, and it, it, it connects with a, a woman, like, you know, fighting and, and uh, fighting for herself. And so I think, you know, regardless of whether you see Dolly as rock music or not, she's been an, a significant influence on rock music for the last five decades. And that's important. Yeah, I agree. And I knew all the big hits, as you said, that were country. And, and then a few years ago, I, 
I, w- I think either, I don't know if it was you or it was Tunes Mate, but I was just stumbling through songs and someone said, hey, have you heard of Jolene? I'm like, Jolene. <laughs> and I've, I've been seeing a lot in the induction footage or the promotion that they keep playing that Jolene song. And I just think not only nine to five, but there are a lot of crossover songs that had to inspire other artists that went on to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I agree with you. The Dolly's here. And don't forget that from her imprint, because I think about this a lot, it's now you've got the country, was the country <laughs> music Hall of Fame. You got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You've got all these different Hall of Fames. I think she could be one of the artists that could end up in almost every single one of the Hall, hall of Fames that exist. <laughs> which is rare. Yeah. She'd be there with, you know, with Carl Perkins and Elvis and, you know, the, you know, and that's, that's part of the significance. You know, mm-hmm. you think about the early days of rock and roll and how a lot of those artists really blended from country to, to, to what was now becoming pop and rock rock and what the early, early, what was called rock and roll. And, and Dolly really kind of carries that on, right. You know, in contemporary with like say Johnny Cash kind of in there. And, yeah, so she ends up, you know, a, you know, adult contemporary, pop, rock, country, right? She ends up there. Yeah, and I wondered in the future. I don't know what Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class Taylor Swift is. Yep. But I imagine she'll be an Eminem yep. type of artist as soon as they are available. They'll get in, and I think there's another artist that will. She'll refer back to Dolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. a very good point, with especially. Uh, given uh, Taylor's start in country music and how she's very much crossed over into a lot of pop and, and, and played around with R&B and other stuff while she's doing it. And so I guess Shania Twain's next. Which yeah, I don't, just, Shania, just, yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> she has some, a lot of pop crossover. Yeah. Uh, Mutt Lang. Uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Is Loretta Lynn already in? I don't know. You know, there's, you know, there are That's a good pop, question. Yeah. Pop, so yeah. this opens some gateways yep. here. So it'd be interesting. And talking about gateways, yep. so we had the, you know, the Commodores are already in. Yep. So Lionel Richie now is brought in as a solo artist. Yep. And this seems to be in the same vein of we had Stevie Nicks yep. the other year and she was already inducted with Fleetwood Mac. Yep. So this is one of these artists that once again is just made the 80s what it is. And obviously, you know, they had another, some, I think, a couple other top maybe top 40 hits in the 90s. I remember there's a song called Time. I believe Lionel Richie hit in probably, what was that? The, I don't know what year that was. I know you probably get me on that one. But here's another iconic artist. You know, He's known for dancing on the ceiling and the duet with Diane Ross. So... There's so much here for Lionel Richie to be brought into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you really can't talk about the 80s without Lionel Richie. I mean, the big three are Madonna, Prince, and Michael Jackson. But, you know, there's that next set of artists like Hall & Oates, uh, Wham, and George Michael, and Lionel Richie's right there. I mean, five number one hits. Uh, you know, he, he began his first solo His first solo hit was was uh, the, the duet with Diana Ross, Endless Love, right? And it was his biggest hit, like nine weeks at number one. But it started to string. I mean, his first 13 songs as a solo artist all hit the top 10. You know, for, from like oh. the early 80s, from 81, 82, from like 82 until like 86, 
he or even early 87 was really the last one ballerina girl right he was ubiquitous i mean he was everywhere on on pop radio in the same way that they talk about like phil collins you know and 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 yeah you mentioned dancing on the ceiling you know that that was one of the ones that went to number two right so you know it you know you could you could think about all of these hits that he had and it's another example of where you have a sort of an artist who can who can cross over in a way right so so you know Richie did well on the Hot 100 and the pop chart. He also did well on the R&B chart. But you know the thing about Lionel Richie that always strikes me is that, and occasionally you would see the times where they would they would actually do this. You can take a lot of Lionel Richie songs and have Kenny Rogers sing them, and you can take a lot of Kenny Rogers songs and have Lionel Richie sing them, and they work really well, right? And like Lady's the one that you know we know of because they you know they both. Uh, recorded it but uh, and there's a couple of other ones like that where they've they've both done versions of them but it's amazing how well Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers graft onto one another yeah that's kind of like you could flip in Will Smith and Keanu Reeves they can just play each other's movies and no one would know the difference right (laughs) right well you know I mean you know they you know Richie's voice is different but there are there are times where where I mean, and it just it you. just speaks to the depth of Richie's voice that he yeah. is so smooth that his his voice is so smooth and so good that you can just listen to him over and over again. Yeah, I mean, the first song that popped in my mind when you mentioned that was "You Decorated My Life," uh-huh. which was a Kenny Rogers yep. song. But immediately in my head, I can hear Lionel Richie singing it. Yep. Yeah. Such or think of think of so... Kenny Kenny Rogers singing "Truly," right? Or "Penny Lover," right? Mm-hmm. totally works it's probably how uh all those albums that were out maybe 10 years ago with rod stewart yeah you know where they, they keep doing all the covers yeah. yeah lionel richie he could totally do that as well lionel richie sings yeah. eminem no wait a minute all <laughs> <laughs> the lionel richie sings the songs that they featured on american idol while he was on there there you go there you go so, well and speaking of iconic voices you know the last one we haven't talked about from the performer category is carly simon and you know, it's kind of shocking to me that Carly Simon's not already in. I, I agree. I mean, one of the songs that everyone knows her for is You're So Vain. And she's been asked so many times, is, is that about James Taylor? Is that about James Taylor? She's like, fine. Yes, part of it is. <laughs> so, But I think just her cultural significance, you think of the 1970s, you think of Carly Simon. And then you think of her crossover into the 80s yep. so there's a there's a strong hold there with her music through those decades and obviously she's done other things but that's part of what you think of when you think of those decades yeah yeah i mean carly simon to me is like uh important part of the 1970s music i mean the one number one hit was you're so vain but you but you know uh, nobody does it better the james bond film right song uh, you belong to me yeah it's just you know there's, there were so many songs, and I remember, you know, early the early '80s. Then, as you said, crossing the uh, Jesse. I remember waking up for school, like in third grade, listening to to Jesse. You know, and and actually, one of her best songs, her last top forty hit, is coming around again. The the depth, the the sort of uh, riff line to that song is amazing, and uh, that was her last, you know, top forty hit in 1987. And then, you know, a couple of years later, it just missed the top forty. Uh, she wins a Grammy with uh, "Let the River Run" from Working Girl, right? You know, so 
So she wasn't like the sort of pop sensation in the 80s that she was in the 70s, but she was still cranking out like important songs. You know, again, some of the couple of these from from movies uh, became sort of the this soundtrack artist of sorts. Yeah, I agree. And all the songs you mentioned are songs that I would put in my rotation while I was studying or just reflecting on things. I think a lot of the songs she has are, are that kind of vibe and it's just an honor that she's in. Yep. She got in this, this class. Yep. So there's a couple here that are in for musical excellence and I'm surprised they're musical excellence. I thought for a second they'd be in performing, but the first one is Judas Priest and the heavy metal icons that probably many have tried to fight for years to get in are finally in. And you think of Rob Halford and what's interesting is for a while there, the lead singer Judas Priest was from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> they, when, when he left, they brought him in. So there is a interesting backstory with Judas Priest and the biggest song you think of is you've got another thing coming. Mm-hmm. That's one that still gets a lot of radio play, but they are icons in heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's interesting that they're in for musical excellence and not performance. They're an important part of heavy metal music through the 80s. I mean, you know, they're the ones who got, you know, taken to court for, you know, supposedly influencing some kid, right? You know, and so that they're vital to how we talk about rock music, heavy metal music, music in the 80s, censorship in music. Judas Priest is right in the midst of all of those conversations. And so um, maybe that's, you know, they take that whole body of work and say that's what makes it musical excellence rather than performing. But they really could have been in his performance as well. And I believe they are getting a moment to perform at the induction, which is interesting. I think they get eight minutes. So what I've heard, they're going to do a medley of their songs. But then we've got Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, which to me, yes, definitely should be in for musical excellence. I know that as a DJ, I've played their songs. <laughs> Probably I worn out the, you really can't wear out CDs. You can step on them and crack them. So I've probably repurchased their music many a times, but Ray, you can probably list off all the artists they worked with. I mean, it's amazing of all the, all the songs that they've created behind the scenes that no one knows about. Right. No. Yeah. I was just uh, thinking about new edition the other day and you know, uh, when they, they wanted to revamp their sound in 1988, right? And they went with uh, they went with Jimmy Jam and Tim, Terry Lewis for If It Isn't Love. And that was, one, you know, one of the early ones. Because then, you know, you get in 1989. I mean, you talk about uh, Rhythm Nation, Janet Jackson's album. That's the one that really sort of made Jimmy uh, Jam and Terry Lewis household names, right? And then it's after that. And like, as you said, working all the artists that they work with, especially in that prime time in the early to mid nineties when they had that sort of signature sound. Yeah. They, they belong here in musical excellence. They are a, an important part of pop music history that we have to acknowledge. So last we've got uh, some early influence, Harry Belafonte and Elizabeth Cotton. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's again, Harry Belly Belafonte is one that, it's kind of amazing to me that he's not in there already. He, he has, you know, he's probably best known for Deo, right? Um, but, you know, he was so significant to pop music in the middle of the 20th century. And again, as you know, African-American performer, 
was able to be part of the mid 20th century movement toward some incorporation of uh, non-white voices in, in pop music. And again, it's limited, but uh, you know, Belafonte is, is really significant. Yeah, I agree. And then Elizabeth Cotton, I mean, you look back, she had so many influences and her compositions were, you know, sung by Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead and a lot of those early folk artists. And it's one of those where it's like Robert Johnson influenced blues and, and Elizabeth Cotton had a, a similar impact on those early artists that went on and then influenced others. So it's, it's good to see also another artist that is recognized that impacted so much of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Cotton's really, you know, pretty important as an, again, and this is right as an early influence, right. As somebody who, I mean, distinctive style of playing and, and so many artists have commented on her influence on what they do and how they learn music and, you know, how they, how they learned how to innovate within music as well. Yeah. And then we've got a couple others rounding out this class and these are for the Amit Erdogan Award. Alan Grubman, who is one of the co-founders of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he's first on the list. And you think about it, this is one of those behind the scenes that nobody really sees because it's part of the, the music industry business side, but had a lot of influence. Yeah, from the sort of legal side, right? Alan Grubman was a significant they talked about i've seen him written about where he uh he was key in artists having some control over their their own music you know you go back to the the history of pop music and i mean there's a long history of artists who just were you know taken advantage of by record companies right and so you thought oh wow they've got the great life and everything and they don't because they're poor because the, you know the record company has it all and so uh, grubman was significant especially in the 80s and forward to you know, uh, representing artists and representing their legal and economic interests in there. So, yeah. And then, as you said, one of the key members of, you know, getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame going as well. But then you've got yeah, Jimmy Iovine, who, once again, has so much history that not a lot of people realize. But if you flip over a lot of the music that you own, you will see that he was a producer. He also was one of a label founder yep. and then started getting in when Napster and all the digital yep. music started happening. He got his hands in there, but you'd be amazed. I mean, it's rattle and hum. You too. He, he had his imprint on that and, and many others that you probably don't realize that he was behind the albums of. Yeah. I think like you said, if you want to, you want to see the influence of, of Iovine. Uh, I mean, I know we know of him, but you know, a lot of folks, if you just, listen to music you're not going to know who jimmy Iovine is but but he's been foundational over the last 50 years toward as a record executive for uh, uh producing and developing how music is how we listen to music uh and and one of the ways that that i think is probably interesting you you mentioned you could look in like liner notes and stuff and you would see his name over and over again and or another way is probably if you read a lot of uh autobiographies you know, when, when artists put out their memoirs and autobiographies, I mean, I haven't like actually done this, but I'll bet 
you would see his name pop up in a high percentage of those. And that's where I, I originally learned his name, you know, 30 years ago, reading, you know, uh, uh, autobiographies written by various artists or, or when I read Hitman about the music industry, you know, in the early 90s, he would be referenced in there because he was an important player in the record executive business. Big imprint, big imprint. And I think you're going to see a lot of the artists when his name is mentioned, there's going to be a thunderous applause. And the last of the award winners is Sylvia Robinson. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't know about Sylvia Robinson until this induction class. So I was looking her up and didn't realize that she was one of the original hip hop moguls. I mean, she was behind the scenes and really helped the foundation for rap, which I, I just remember the song Rapper's Delight. I remember hearing that and she actually helped produce that song. And that was the song that everyone references. Oh, that's, that's one of the first rap songs. So it is amazing how that this particular inductee, Eminem and everyone else that has come before Eminem has Sylvia to thank. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia Robinson absolutely belongs in the rock and roll hall of fame. And it, you know, there's sort of two parts to here, right? So there's first, she had her own um, performing career and folks may best know her as half of Mickey and Sylvia. And if you've ever seen the movie Dirty Dancing, that scene where they use the song Love is Strange and they dance to it, that's her, right? That She's the female voice in that duet. And that was, uh, you know, a top 20 hit for Mickey, Mickey and Sylvia back in the late 50s. And so, she, you know, they... She had the, the, the performing career, but then, as you mentioned, with Rapper's Delight, she was founding part of one of the founders of Sugar Hill Records. And so you can't write the history of, of rap and hip hop without talking about Sugar Hill Records and Rapper's Delight, uh, you know, the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. She was involved at that. Uh, you know, so you really, you can't talk about the significance of hip hop and rap without paying paying homage to Sylvia Robinson. And so she absolutely belongs here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, musical influences and, uh, you know, uh, executives who've been foundational to the development of rock and pop. She's, it, it, there, there's no question in my mind, Sylvia Robinson needs to be there. Well, this is the class of 2022. And it's been, once again, great to kind of reflect back on how these artists are not only impacting the culture in the past, but how we think of these songs and how they made an imprint on us. And then if you weren't aware, once again, the mission of Tunesmate is to make you think about and understand the significance of songs and how they can really change your mood. And we, we talked about this many times, Ray, but just think about the next time you're putting that playlist together and you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to throw in Rapper's Delight or I'm going to put in a lot of Richie's song or maybe Duran Duran and realize that there, there are people behind the scenes making these songs happen. And then also how some of these songs, like you said earlier, hmm, maybe somebody else might could possibly sing those songs a different way and how that's going to impact the, the future of music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really a robust class here. Uh, again, as you mentioned, there's a there's an 80s feel to it, you know, going right through the executives and the performers. 
um, the, the music writers. And so yet at the same time, you know, with folks like Eminem paying homage to, to other periods as well, but it's kind of like it again, and it's a class of folks, not all, but, but a number of whom you'd think that they might've been there already. And so it's, it's a, it's a really good class. Well, once again, we thank you for listening to tunes, mate. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, follow our blog. And once again, my name is Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.